Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Gridiron Bliss Podcast, your weekly source for women's American football, insights, game recaps, and NFL News Weekly. Subscribe on Apple and iHeart. Welcome to Gridiron Blitz, episode 453 in the house, Oscar Lopez, and we're going to have a great two hours of jam-packed excitement as the WNFC 9 Cup uh, finished up this weekend, and as well as the WWCFL final in Canada. So two championships in the North American swing. We're going to dive in in the second hour with Mark Simone and Coach Terry Lister as we break down everything WNFC. We're also going to preview and recap the WFA round one. We're going to preview round two, which is some exciting matches that are going to happen as the road to Canton intensifies in the WFA as we head to the Hall of Fame Village in uh, Canton, Ohio. And so it's going to be awesome the second hour, so make sure you stick around. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share our podcast. Uh, the best network on the planet exists at the hub at facebook.com forward slash beauties. Make sure you guys share and like and and help us out on the Facebook page as well. Uh, if you are inclined, go to our Instagram, and you can see the two championship uh, teams on display in our gallery, as well as our stories. Really appreciate everybody uh, liking our stories and sharing the stories. Uh, so we got the WNFC Texas Elite Spartans front and center at our gallery at, on Instagram, as well as the, the uh, multi-time champion Saskatoon Valkyries as well. Uh, this is their eighth championship, thir- third in a row. Uh, for the uh, Saskatoon Valkyries. So check it out right there uh, at the, at the uh, Instagram page. Don't forget to go to the at No Joke Football pages on Facebook and Instagram if you're inclined. Help us out. Uh, the podcast is powered by Zazzle.com. We have a Zazzle shop at the No Joke Football shop, Zazzle.com for slash Grand Beauties. You get up to 15% off. Use Zazzle Thanks. Free shipping in the U.S. Uh, for about 10 bucks. International shipping as well. Uh, on everything from Europe, Australia, and anything in the global scene. So if you're inclined, go to the shop. If you don't want to get anything from us, no big deal. Uh, Zazzle has amazing things for weddings, uh, for planners. It also has Marvel, Disney, Star Wars, etc. So check it out, Zazzle.com forward slash Beauties. Check it out right there and get some cool teas. Not a boys game tea, the No Joke Football Original Classic, and other good cool stuff right there. So uh, we're going to be talking to two talented individuals on both sides of the spectrum in terms of the football swing. So today we are going to have, in about 15 minutes, the talented Tara Thomas, the star of the WNFC 9 Cup uh, this weekend and MVP honors of the uh, WNFC 9 Cup. Plus, uh, in the uh, in a half hour, we're going to revisit with uh, Houston Mambas head coach Chanel Soho-Tillman uh, about the season of the Houston Mambas, a success first year. Uh, we talked to her way back in, I believe, the beginning of the year, and now we're going to kind of recap and see where she's at, whether she's going to return for 2024 to kind of, you know, continue the Houston Mambas uh, uh, launch off here, or are we going to see some changes here? So we're going to be talking to her about what went right, what went wrong, and, uh, you know, what she th- her thoughts on the whole process from uh, building it from scratch to making it to the playoffs, which is very impressive in, in one year one for the Houston Mambas. So uh, don't, don't forget, like and subscribe and on our uh, 
podcasts. So you can uh, Apple Podcasts, Sprecher, or Spotify. So check it out there, all right? So we're going to recap some of the things that are happening in the Europe scene, including results and the upcoming games here. So we're going to dive into a couple things in uh, Finland as the season is still uh, sort of through the midway point. So we had a week three, Turku, 48-28 against the Northern Lights as the champions uh, sped on. And week four, it was Champiri, 56-0 over the Olu uh, Northern Lights. And then week five this past weekend, uh, very contested contest. We knew Helsinki was going to come in with a better uh, squad this year, and they have shown it. So uh, the Turku Trojans edge the Helsinki Wolverines 23-14. to 14, which This is the rivalry in the Maple League in terms of the women's scene. And this is probably, probably going to be the final, uh, more so than anything. So uh, looking at that, and then week six coming up here, it'll be Tampiri against Helsinki uh, on July 2nd. And my notes have, let's see here, uh, week six, uh, Helsinki, Tampiri. Then after this week, it's going to be week seven, Tampiri versus Turku. And we have a doubleheader in week seven. That's going to be Helsinki, Northern Lights. So um, it was a really close matchup. Uh, If you got Rodu uh, over in Europe, you can get to watch the matchup there as well. Uh, Helsinki, uh, right off the blocks, uh, Turku was 7-6 first quarter. Then it was 8-0 as the uh, uh, Turku Trojans started to um, um, hold the Helsinki Wolverines scoreless, 8-0. Then it was a uh, a 2-0 win in the third quarter on a safety. And then the, the final quarter was an 8-6 to six quarter. So it turned out 23-14. That was the, uh, the victory for the two, uh, Turku Trojans who continue to uh, remain undefeated. So interesting, interesting as we go into week seven for the Finnish league. Uh, so we'll keep tabs right there at the hub, facebook.com forward slash square down beauties. And then uh, the standing so far in Finland, uh, Turku 4-0. Uh, it's Helsinki at 1-2, Tampiri 1-1. And it is uh, Olu 0 and 3. So through the uh, you know what five weeks, almost six weeks, yeah, five weeks, we're looking at uh, basically Turku being the dominant team of the Finnish uh, scene in terms of the Maple League. All right, over in Sweden, uh, we are we had a Gothenburg taking on AIK and then Karlstad versus Norrköping. So this is going to be this upcoming weekend, July 1st. It is going to be the semifinals, and then we'll have the uh, actual Swedish championship on. July 9th, and that's uh, it's going to be uh, between either Kalstad and it's either going to be Gothenburg or AKI because I don't think Kurt Norkopen's got what it takes to shock us and take down Karlstad. It just, it just, they're just that good. And so um, I, I doubt that's going to be a case, but, I mean, anything can happen. Of course, it's football, so we might be surprised. The Panthers come in with uh, aggression. Maybe they'll take care of it, but uh, I highly doubt that. And then uh, Gothenburg. And AKI, so two of, the, two of the teams that are kind of a standout second, uh, they, didn't, they did not fare well against the Carlsbad Crusaders in season. And so the winner here, uh, either or, is going to have to face uh, Carlsbad at its best, and that's uh, it, during the championship game. And normally Carlsbad does not falter in championship games. So a uh, tall task for the Gothenburg Marvels or the AKI squads over in Sweden in the Super Series playoffs as the playoffs begin this coming weekend, uh, July 1st, and then the final will be on uh, July 9th in Sweden. All right, so we'll jump over to Germany uh, on the uh, AFBD Germany DBL1. So 
So this coming weekend, Munich at 2-2 two and two will face off against Stuttgart, who's undefeated. Then we got Berlin, also 2-0. and oh. We'll be taking on Hamburg, 2-0. and oh. So a battle of two undefeated teams right there at 2-0. and oh. And then we got 2-2 two and two L- uh, Ellingen taking on Starland, who's 0-4, and, and they've struggled so far this season. And then on the 15th, uh, it's going to be a really good clashes as well. You got Hamburg against Kiel. Should be a good win for them if they get through here. Berlin, uh, Starland against Stuttgart, probably not going to end well. And then er- Erlingen against Munich, interesting matchup there at 2-2, two and two, and Munich probably at this point might be 2-3. and three. So uh, two, weekend, uh, two weeks to come here in the uh, German uh, DBL1. So Munich should be able to rebound here, uh, but it's going to be a tough battle against Stuttgart. Uh, Berlin and Hamburg, interesting to see how that's going to turn out and how that will uh, evolve. And then Erlingen against Charlon. Uh, we have DBL2 action as well. Um, so uh, on this weekend, uh, Schwarzburg against uh, Mayhem. So they're uh, Schwarzburg 4-0 undefeated against Mayhem. You got um, Red Knights 0-2 taking on Gilbin 0-4. Uh, Odenburg 2-4 will be taking on Lindian Venoms 2-2. Cologne 6-0 will take on Bostrom, which is 0-4. Uh, the Solingen 4-4 will take on Moham. Shamrocks 0 and 4, and then uh, you got Red Redgrew 0 4, and then Redenburg 4 and 0. So interesting matchups in DBL 2 uh, for this coming weekend. Uh, I was looking at the schedule. Let me just pull it up here for what I wrote down here. Here we are. Perfect. So looking at the schedule here for DBL DBL 2. If I can read right, yeah. So that that's the matchups. Um, let's see here. The standings are. We got the standings here in uh, the Southwest. You got Schwarzburg, uh, Unicorns four and zero. You got Maine's Golden Eagles four and two. Malham, uh, Malham Benitez zero and zero, and then Red Knots, Red Knights Tubingen zero and two. The Gibbon Golden Dragons zero and four. Redensburg Phoenix four and zero in terms of the Southeast. And the LG uh, Comets four and two, Lepsing Hawks two and four, and then Rodgu Pioneers zero oh and four, and that's the the case there. The other uh, in the other which it's in the north, DBL two north. As we said before, the Brunswick Lions six and zero. Oh. Then you got Hanover Grizzlies four and two, Lithian Venom two and two, Odenburg Knights two and four, and the winless Hamburg Blue Devilins at zero oh and six. And then in the west, DBL west. Cologne obviously owns six and zero, and then you got Archen and Colne four and two, Sullingen, Wilpernthal four and four, Bochum Miners zero and four, and then Moham Shamrocks zero and four. So that's the current standings in DBL two as we sit right now. So it's going to be interesting matchups coming up in Germany this coming weekend, seven one July first, July second. You got July one in Sweden in terms of the playoffs as to who will move on to the final on July 9th. And then in Turku, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in, fin- in Finland, week six, it will be Helsinki against Tampiri. Uh, everything you need to know what's going on in the sport, you go to the Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Grand Beauty. It's the best network on the planet. It is us at facebook.com forward slash Grand Beauty. So don't forget to go there now. Like, share, and subscribe on our page as well. Uh, if you're inclined, like I said, on our podcast, make sure you go to Sprecher, Apple, or Spotify. Those are the bigger uh, platforms 
to get uh, more awareness to women's tackle football. So check it out right there. All right, so it's going to be an exciting matchup, an exciting uh, weekend of the European scene. And then uh, over in Canada, and I'm going to get my, my stuff. So if you guys check it out on, at the Hub, we got uh, some articles that came out, uh, the, the articles of CBC covering the Saskatoon Valkyries third straight uh, championship. It was Valkyries beating uh, the Calgary Rage 40-0 to at Griffin Stadium. It is the uh, Val- Saskatoon Valkyries third straight Western Canadian uh, championship. Uh, the Valkyries beat the visiting Calgary Rage 40-0, to uh, and, and it earned them their eighth championship in a row, or I mean a total eight championship. Um, so that was really awesome. And then the difference this year I think is more exciting is because a lot of the players from the Manitoba, the Manitoba um, League now kind of incorporating um, – incorporated into the fold right there in Saskatoon. So uh, we're able to um, kind of migrate into the Regina, the Regina Riot or head into the, the, the championship squad that is the Saskatoon Valkyries. So uh, it's very interesting how the, that's happening, as well as in the you know, Utah Girls Football League. We're looking at that process now evolving into a high school scene So and then helping some of those players go into the Utah Falcons for the WNFC. So interesting to see that. So that's, a, that's really good on that. Uh, we're going to be bringing in our guests right now into the Zazzle huddle, and we're going to be talking to the talented MVP of the Nine Cup, and that is the uh, talented Tara, Tara Thomas, uh, number 15. And let's bring her on here. Hi, Tara. How's it going? Hello. How are you? I'm doing great. It's going good over how's here. How's it going? Uh, were you drinking champagne, it's- or what happened? Um, yesterday I, I did and Sunday I was, but today I, I yeah. had to go back to work, so <laughs> I, yeah. had to, I had to slow down a little bit. <laughs> Tara, we wanted to bring you on, uh, kind of an exciting matchup. Uh, we all anticipated a better outcome, but, uh, you did spark us with that 59 yard, you know, dash to the end zone to just kick it off and just kind of bring that light into the, uh, into the stadium there at Frisco. Yeah, um, that was unexpected. <laughs> I never know when that when when I'm gonna um, explode like that. It's just I just know that once my O line find they find a rhythm and I see a hole, I just go, and then I figure out the rest later. So I don't know. I just I just did what I what I, what I know how to do. Just get out of there and run, and <laughs> I get to the end zone. So I was Charlie. excited about that because I know it sparked us. I'm listening. No, go ahead. Uh, I was saying the excitement was building, right, to come in. Uh, but you had a, such a great game uh, before this matchup, you know, when you had the opportunity over in Utah as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a – anytime it's a winner go home, I show up. So, like I said, I just came out there. The energy on my team, they were – they were – so excited about that playoff game. It was a championship game, and the energy was just contagious. So the energy that they poured into me, it just gave me – I can't explain it. Like, I stacked I myself this season. I'm not going to even – I can't even tell you how I did what I did. I just – I don't know. Like the, the energy on this team just – it just makes you want to be great. Like every, everyone just makes you want to be great. And so – I don't know. I just, I, I'm just a baller. That's all I can say. 
Tara, you, you've had experience. I mean, how long have you played in, in terms of the women's tackle scene? Uh, this was my fourth season. Yeah. So you, you have four years in. Uh, I mean, did you think you'd get to this stage on a big spectacle that is now the WNFC in terms of, you know, coverage and publicity and social media impact, you know what I mean, that kind of stuff? Not really. Um, yeah, I, I didn't expect it. Honestly, you started. I mean, yeah, I started with Arlington Impact. Uh, the first year I started, I started playing safety. I played a little bit of running back, but it was I was still trying to get comfortable with contact. I wasn't used to contact, um, and I was I was a little bit smaller. So after playing with them for the first year. Um, I was like, you know, I got to get in the gym. I got to get better. I started work training six days a week. And I didn't think about, like, the actual, you know, attention it would bring to me. I just wanted to be a great player. So that was pretty – I was just trying to get to my goal. So, no, I didn't expect all of this action. Tara, the, the, the WFA to the WNFC, different levels in a lot of aspects depending on what team you're in. But at the same time, you know, you go from – a rising Arlington impact the last, what, two years, right? Uh, two, three years. Yes. The last three years. This year, mm-hmm. more, more of a drop-off, but I think more of a roster issue. But you were part of one of the teams that was just you know, elevating their, their game. You know what I mean? In terms of right. getting that. So, uh, I mean, to you, for you to jump from that, that level, right, and then jumping into, you know, a, a team like you said earlier, it just, you know, infuses you with wanting to be the best and they have not lost a game in, like, what, three years? So, you know, I'm pretty sure you've paid attention to them from the outside looking in, even when you were in the WFA. Uh, yeah, I have. I actually um, I uh, became aware of this team when my the first year I started playing football, we had a scrimmage. And the way that they were, stru- their structure and organization stood out to me. But I knew that I wasn't ready to go there yet. And um, – with Arlington Impact, I mean, it was a great organization. It, it helped me become an aggressive player. Um, it helped me learn every uh, position on the field. Like I said, I can play DB, I can play safety, I can play running back, I can play receiver. I even threw the ball sometimes, but I'm not a quarterback. I don't ever want to be that. But um, I being, being, being the person that had to go where it was needed helped me get to the point where I was like, you know what, it's time for me. I'm ready to go to the next level. I'm ready to challenge more. So they got me to where I was at a good, comfortable spot, and I was, it was time for me to get uncomfortable. So that's why I pretty much left and came to Texas And also, they're like 15 minutes from my home. It's, just, it's so convenient <laughs> on top of everything yeah, else that they have to offer. And that happens a lot in terms of the women's scene, right, because the, the commute, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes you have to commute more than two hours, sometimes – players are coming like six hours to get to a team, right? To be part of a team. So that's kind of mm-hmm. nice to have like, you know, a 20 minute commute uh, to get to practice. Yeah. Um, Tara, what do you say of the structure of, you know, like OJ, Dillo, you know, the coaching staff that they have? I mean, this is kind of like uh, what you call kind of a standard for them, right? To win. The winning mentality right. is to come in and win. It, it seems like, from us fans, it seems like the games are won 
you know, like when you get into the first quarter, and we've had coaches on here before, but it just seems like if if this team gets in your head, it's it's literally defeatist attitude, right? Because once you start scoring, it's like one of these like, oh my God, no. And then all of a sudden you start to question, right? The coverages, where were you at? You missed that, right? I'm, t- I'm talking about the opposition. Then you really they mm-hmm. start to feel like, okay, this is we're not gonna this is not gonna end well. Yeah, I think it starts with the defense. Um because they do they they come out and they do their part fast. And I think sometimes it takes offense a little it takes us a little maybe a couple series to get it going. <clears throat> we started turning it on towards the end, but I think with the defense, I think their energy shuts down the offense of other teams. And then when we come out there and we, we become explosive because we have so many weapons, I think it adds, you know, more of that, oh, man, like I, we we can't do anything. I think that's just – I mean, that's my opinion. When the defense get out there, they they go on 100% full, like as soon as the clock, as soon as the whistle blows. And then we get into our rhythm, and it just makes it even harder for the teams to, you know, join us or get to where we are. But Tara, yeah, have you thought about scheming against against your own team, and you're like sitting there going, "How is that happening?" Right? How do we take down a Landry or a Jackson or a Heilman? Right? How do you take that down? And then all of us, by the way, we do have a running game, you know, with some speed, which is Tara Thomas. I mean, it's got to be tough the scheme against you guys. Uh, I think of it as well. On this team, it's so much talent that I can play a couple more years versus where I was coming from. That team, We had a lot of talent on the other team, too, as well, but I was used a lot. Over here, it's so much yeah. talent that if you shut me down, then you got to figure out how to shut all the receivers down. Then when I get tired, we have more running backs that will come in and just take take the, the D line out or the linebackers. Like, I'm like, how do you scheme for that? It's too many, too much talent on the team. Yep. It's, it's hard to scheme for that, yep. and it's not also it's not also just about talent. Like we 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 follow what OJ is saying. Like it's like we're all glued together. It's a chemistry that I can't explain. And I when I came to the team, I fell right in it. I mean, I had to learn a lot of things. Like it it was a, it's a complex complex offense. I really had to learn and get in my books, and I'm still learning now, but. I was already with the chemistry that they and the leadership they have on this team. It's pretty much it, it is kind of it's hard to stop because it's not always just about the talent you have. You have to actually mesh. You got to mesh. So I do I do understand how it's hard to cover. Tara, um, OG we saw on display, right? Grayson mm-hmm. we saw on display. Ferguson on display. I mean, I, can I go on and on? Because I got plenty of names to kind of like jot down. <laughs> so who didn't we not see on display on Sunday? That's my point. Um, I think pretty much saw everyone. Yeah. Everyone. It was. It was. Just, yeah. No. That's why I'm saying to you. It's like. It's like <laughs> when you talk about your team, right? It's like okay, it's, uh, we're gonna like you said earlier. We're, we're, Thomas will shut down. Yeah, but. But you won't shut down Jackson or Hillman yeah, or, it's, it's too much. or Landry. And, you know and if I'm you? tired, 
Yeah, if I'm tired and I tap yeah. my head, okay, Kyrie Williams, let's throw her in there. We got somebody else running down the hole. Like, it's just so many. Like, everyone's ready to go. Like, I know they say you have a second and a third string. I don't see that on this team. I just see a lot of starters that's playing, waiting on their turn to go out there. That's what I see. It's a lot of us. Uh, I, yeah. Tara, I think the hashtag's unfair. <laughs> you just hashtag unfair. <laughs> It's, it's, you know, but it's a beautiful thing to see, right? Because you're looking at a, a, a dedicated team on both uh, three, three levels of football that really, you know, like you said, everybody is held accountable to themselves, right? To be the best, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, uh, the best person to contribute, right? Because everybody's got to contribute. All right. Yep. Everyone. And I mean, like, from the water, the people that give us water, admin, everyone is contributing somehow. Like it, it just feels like a family over there. And that's what I was looking for. A family. I I wanted to get with some some vets who are, who can teach me how to play or help me learn more. I came over here and the old line was telling me how to run the ball. And I know how to run the ball, but to hear them say, Hey listen, this is what you gotta do I'm always be open to listen to what they have to say. It's it's just so it's it's a winning mindset over there, and you learn so much. Even if you're not even playing, you're gonna learn. So when they do call your yeah. name, you're gonna be ready to play. That line gap mentality, uh, Tara, that you're talking about, is educational in some senses because you might have the speed, but you might not have the vision, right? Like to, mm-hmm. to kind of hesitate, and then the opening arises, and that's where the big play happens. I think that's literally where the line can give you that opportunity, but you're also, you have to, you have to have somewhat patience, right? To understand the gaps and and to understand that you're able to break out. Right. And at the same time, it's credit to them, right? Because they're the ones telling you the window will open here and you got to be ready for it. Yes. Um, And I did have a struggle with that at the beginning. Um, When I first came here, I had a struggle because um, I'll just, before I came here, I just ran like, yeah, there was a play call, but I went wherever the hole was. I just ran for my life. <laughs> and then here, yeah, you might see a hole over here, but that's supposed to be there. Like the, the play is designed for it to look like one over here, but it's one that's going to open up late over here. So I had to learn how to be. I had to learn how to be patient. I'm still, and I'm still learning how to be patient. Don't get me wrong, but um, I did have to learn how to be patient, and it it took a, it didn't take too long. But it was hard. It was a little difficult. I'm not gonna lie. I'm just ready to go. Figure out how to slow my mind down and and see see like you said, have a have a better vision of the game and the field, and just listen to my teammates. Tara, an impressive performance on Sunday by you, and then obviously the offense uh, kind of got going defensively. To your point, they set the tone uh, early. Um, there was pretty good stops, right? I mean, you had Knicks, they had, uh, you know, Jackson, right? And so they had opportunities. Yeah. Uh, they just didn't capitalize on them. But that's a credit to the defense, too. Yeah, that team, they have an they have a explosive offense as well. Um, I was on the sideline there. Just, I'm not any anytime anytime Gore step back, and then she could want to take off running. I was like, oh, my goodness, somebody <laughs> get her before she's gone. And then 
anytime she stepped back and threw that deep ball to Jackson or Nick, I was, you know, it was a little, I was a little nervous, but I was, I knew that our defense was prepared for them. So that nerve, the nervousness in me didn't last too long. And it's a respect too, because I think Rashawn really deserves that respect. I, I think at the beginning of the game, you saw where the defense understood we're only eyeing on her and everybody else was like, you know, your defense basically challenged her and says, can you throw and, and can these receivers do the job for you? That's literally the challenge in the first couple series there. And unfortunately they could not get the job done in terms of the receivers. They, they couldn't get the ball. Uh, the throws were probably a little bit off, right? The timing. Um, so it was, it was just, you know, but if she gets going, you know, the, the gaps are there. She's a runner, right? That's like her first option is always mm-hmm. to, once she, once, she, once she checks down and there's nothing there, you already know she's going to run. Like, that's just like second nature. Yeah, and she makes the decision quick, too, because she'll, she'll let the ball go fast soon. But if she doesn't, I know that she's about to run. Yeah, that's a, that's a talent over there. That's like a, that's like a Lamar Jackson. <laughs> that's a female Lamar Jackson over there. Great athlete. She's been, she's been. Uh, I don't know if you know her history, but she's been in this sport for a long, long time, and she's been very successful. And and even before that, and back in the days, and so, I mean, she's one of those talents that you know has gotten better and better and better. Obviously, with with knowledge of the game, but um, the performance, Atara, by her uh, in the game in the championship game, it wasn't as as great as it was in terms of the run. She goes to Mississippi after leaving your team. And she literally puts the Panthers on her back and gets them to the nine cup. Pretty impressive run. Very impressive. Very impressive to switch from. I mean, I'm. I'm I think she was already uh, throwing and working on being a quarterback. I didn't get a chance to play with her or meet her until this year. Well, yeah, meet her until this year at uh, nine cup actually. But um, to see. That's not that's not an easy transition. Like you're switching, you you're becoming the number one QB, which you have to know everything. And then you're taking a team, and you're help you're basically taking a, your championship mind and putting it on them. And to be able to handle that with pressure and get them to the championship, yeah, that's that's really that's amazing to me. To understand one stat, Tara, of of uh, Rashawn Gore, as we you know we all we talk about the nine cup, the total offense for the Panthers was Rashawn Gore for the year. <laughs> that tells you all you yeah. need to know. <laughs> yeah, she's a gem. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, what did you did you have any any jitters of the weekend? Uh, the you know there was a lot of events at the nine cup before you got settled in to play your game, uh, is there something that stands out for you um, uh, in terms of the nine-cup weekend? Uh, jitters as in, you mean like uh, before the game or just at yeah, the Yeah, like, event? you know, some, some players tune out the events. They get ready for, you know, a, uh, a, a, in a certain way, you know, like meal prep or, or the sleep time, uh, whatever, okay. you know. But, but I'm talking about the weekend in itself. I mean, there's a lot of events in that uh, uh, leading up to the game. Did you take in part in any um, of those events? Yes, I went to Fan Fest. I and I went to the brunch. Um, I'm glad that those events were was there because it got it got me 
you know, it, it stopped me from, you know, thinking about the game so much. And, you know, sometimes I can have anxiety before a game. So uh, mm-hmm. I had, to, I made sure I went to those, I went to those events. Um, but it didn't stop. I still was nervous. I'm not going to lie. This was my first time. Like, I've been in big crowds. I've been, I've ran track and I've been in championships. I've, I've been around like huge pressure moments, but this was different. I thought I was gonna be okay, but I was really nervous. <laughs> it took it took two quarters for me to just find just get out of it, to shake it off. It it was mm-hmm. different. It was new for me. And my teammates, they've been here before, so you know, they they were okay. But I'm coming in as a new player and I'm about, I'm starting as a running back. And it's not just mm-hmm. a running back on this team. You have a lot of responsibilities. So I was a little nervous. I'm not, I'm not even going to act like I wasn't. But I got the performance you had on the performance you had on Sunday. Uh, was that surprising to you at that point, or it was just okay? Once you guys got going, you got your 59-yard touchdown. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, like you said, the offense eventually started to pick up and and get the momentum. Um, at some point, you know, it was halftime, and I, I'll tell you right now, us, we were like, it's done, because if you don't challenge this team in two quarters at the beginning. If you you know if you challenge them then you got a shot, but once it's uh, half, after halftime, uh, the the percentages of winning on the opposing side are very small, and so unfortunately that's that was the result. Yeah, um, the chances of winning of um, this for this season basically you have to be prepared for a shootout, and yep. our defense is not going to allow it. So we're going to take advantage of what our defense does. Because we we don't want to go back to practice and, and hear they mouth like we don't want to hear. Come on now, y'all didn't execute. Y'all got us. We out there playing back to back. We tired. No, we gonna we gonna have they back. So, if, in order, like I said, in order to beat us, it is gonna be a shootout because we're gonna score eventually. And once we start scoring, we don't stop. Even if it takes us so, a minute, Sarah, our defense is gonna hold it down. The, the fact that, the fact team. that you had a great performance uh, on Sunday. Uh, you you got to play with some of the t- some of the players. Some of the players, you know, are going to be retiring. The uh, Graysons of the world are going to be retiring. We don't know of other players. I know Fancy Robinson announced her retirement. Um, you know, but you get you you got offense on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, you get to play with some you know well known legends and worldwide legends. Some of these gold medalist you know players. Um, now that struck you at the, at some point. You're like, hey, I'm I'm around some some amazing you know global talent, not just local you know Dallas talent or nationwide talent, but some of these players actually have played on the world stage. They're so they so they're so down to earth and humbling. Like you mm-hmm. you know that they're in that caliber when you see them play, but just being around them, it's they make it easy. I'm, it like I know the type of players I'm around, but they make sure that they know that they are educating you to get to the where they are. So I'm in awe. Actually, I hope I hope none of them retire. I know some of them might, but I'm in their inboxes recruiting like they're not even on the team. I'm like, don't leave yet. I only been here one year. <laughs> Come back one more time. Like uh, they are they are a big part of my success this season. Because it was not easy at first. I'm being quite honest. Yep. So, yeah. 
Well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're candid about it, but also at the same time, it's like, to your point, you know, you're, you're being surrounded by a lot of knowledge, right? Which is sometimes not mm-hmm. the thing in certain, certain teams, right? Certain teams, like you said, that this is, we're just going to run, you know, run to save ourselves and hopefully we score. But when you're in a structured motion, right, or, or a team that obviously understands fundamentals and structure and organizational, uh, all those things line up. Now the commitment and the accountability is there, and a lot of players can't do that, right? Because you either mm-hmm. got to treat this as a real business mentality, right? This is my job, or you're treating it as a hobby, where I'm just I just wanted to get away as, as an outlet. So it's you know, and, and that's the difference sometimes with good teams and bad teams. Yeah, like you, this is a priority. It's not a hobby. And every mm-hmm. everyone on the team, they have that that mindset. Like this is we're gonna if we don't have practice, then we expect you to be somewhere else putting in work. Like it's not just we're gonna practice Wednesday, Saturday, Sunday. You should be doing stuff on your own. Um, the only thing that comes before is family and work, your job, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And if you are not able to do so, then it's gonna be hard for you to. Um, fit in over here because, like I said, everyone has the same mindset. Everybody buys into the, the goal, right? There's a goal, and the goal is to win. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, you're a winner. Um, MVP honors, I don't think you anticipated that, right? But when you no. when you got the, uh, the award, right, how did, how did it make you feel in front of everybody, right, in front of this crowd, two teams, it's stage, uh, I think it was deserving because you 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 did a great a great job in terms of you know a, a performance output. It was awesome. Thank you. Um, I was surprised. It took me a minute to understand. I'm like, did they say my name? Wait, what? <laughs> I was I was really shocked, but um, I'm thankful. And yeah, I'm just happy at this point. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, I'm trying to get out of football mode and get back. To, I'm on a break now, so I'm trying to get back to, to my job, my wife, and my family. I'm still in football mode. I want, eventually, I'm gonna come down from the high and start getting ready for next year. Well, impressive performance on Sunday. Uh, it was an awesome uh, performance at the Nine Cup, and then, uh, like I said, it, we all expected it, a, a better matchup. Unfortunately, you know your team is. Uh, outstanding, and that is always a big challenge for everybody else. But, uh, you know, a great opportunity for Texas Elite Spartans as they once again reign supreme. Uh, and so, uh, Tara, thank you for making the time. I know it was a short notice. Really appreciate you coming on, giving us your insights on the Nine Cup weekend, and congratulations again on your MVP honors and an uh, outstanding season. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Have a great night. Safe travels. Looking forward to 2024. Yes. You have a great night, too. Thank you. See you next year or whenever you want to talk again. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you, Tara. Appreciate it. Have a great evening. You too. Bye-bye. All right, guys. That was the uh, Nine Cup MVP, uh, Tara Thomas, of the Texas Elite Spartans. And so uh, what what a, a... journey for her to, you know, to go from, you know, the WFA Arlington impact on a playoff mode mentality, like she said, and now 
to go on to a championship-level team in the WNFC. So uh, what an incredible year for her as well. Uh, let's dive into another incredible year and successful year, and we talk to uh, our next guest, which is the head coach of the Houston Mambas, and that is uh, Coach uh, Chanel Soho. And her creation of the Mambas, the inception of the Mambas, to the playoff Mambas, and now, uh, you know, the success of the uh, Houston Mambas. And Houston Mambas, I believe, was ownership team of the year. So let's bring in the head coach of the Houston Mambas, and that is Coach Soho in the house. Coach, thank you for making the time. Uh, Welcome back to the podcast. What a year. Hey, 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 Austin. What's going on, guys? You tell me what's going on, Coach. What a what an awesome finish to your season. I mean, uh, I don't think any of us anticipated you guys were going to be in the playoffs, but you know, once once you made that the opportunity to get to the playoffs, uh, was it was it impressive? It was a very impressive year for you guys, from starting off like you said at the beginning of the year to not knowing how this is going to you know evolve, like you said with all the international players plus the acquisitions out of state and all that. Um, so tell us a little bit about the journey from the beginning of the season, uh, obviously, to the, you know, the playoff state? Um, you know, to be honest, going into it, I had no expectations, simply because, you know, they're, they're coming out the gate. Uh, you uh, have to put together a, a team like that, you know, people from all over the place, people who haven't played, people who come from teams that didn't necessarily fare well, you know, so the, the biggest part of, of the challenge was just, uh, you know, getting them together in general. Um, uh, they still got a ways to go. They, they still, they still, you know, have that individual mindset because uh, I don't think they're quite comfortable or trusting it of each other. You know, so, uh, they haven't bought into the whole thought of just being vulnerable to team instead of, you know, protecting eye type deal. But, um, Towards the end of the season, they they started clicking a little bit. You know, they they went on a little run there, but uh, and it just boosted their confidence a bit. Um, and I think going into next season, they'll have uh, you know, a, a mark to to you know, test themselves from. You know, coach. Uh, the first game for us was kind of a benchmark mentality because you got Denver playoff team from the last year, you got yourselves, but that first win, how, how rewarding was it for you to get that win, the tough win against Denver week one? Well, <laughs> you already know me, man. Uh, the wins aren't for me. The wins are for them. I take the losses, you know, so um, the win was for them just to let them know what, what was possible if they got their minds right and, and you know, dove into the thing together. You had the opportunity to take uh, on Texas twice in the season, and the first game was literally almost what we just saw in the nine cup, you know, kind of like just mm-hmm. a, a route, mm-hmm. off of route. But the second game, uh, you guys did hold them to, uh, I think, 28 points. So was it a learning process as as you obviously faced Dal, you know, Texas a lot more often from the first game to the second game? Oh, yeah. Um, they definitely saw, you know, the possibilities of improvement, you know, based on, you know, their mistakes made and, and whatnot. And then, you know, <laughs> you take on the Giant the second, you know, game in. So um, they've already got something stuck in their head. And, and half of the battle is, is that mental part, you know. Um 
made some improvement, made some adjustments. You know, so they were able to show a little bit better that second game. But um, uh, I think even with with the wins, the biggest learning opportunity for them was to play the elite both times. They learned something. They came away with some valuable things uh, from both of those games. And I think that meant more than the wins did. Well, that was a great matchup, too, because, um, you know, the 28-0, to zero, even though you guys didn't score, it was uh, a little, literally a more of a better defensive game for you guys than the first game when you gave up 41. So it was really impressive to see that, you know, the defensive side of the ball was, um, you know, taking on the offense in terms of the Texas offense and limiting some of those capabilities that they have. Um, Coach, uh, what did you think of the nine cup this this weekend? Oh, well, it, it was a game. Um, I think there were opportunities missed, but, you know, um, on any given day, you either show up to play or you just show up. You know, things happen. Um, if you're not all clicking on the same page, it's, it's not going to work out too well. But, you know, they, did, they didn't give up and they kept playing, and that's all you can ask. And uh, uh, what I would like to say is the last time I talked to you, you asked me about which team I thought we should look out for, and I do believe I said Mississippi. So um, You did. Uh, yeah, and I, I just think there's a few pieces that they're missing over there to, to balance out that whole team. And, and um, once that happens, <laughs> there might be something different we're talking about. Coach, you got to see them twice. Uh, and you got to see them in uh, the postseason, too. And so yeah. and you know what Rasan's all about and, uh, yeah. you know, what she's capable of. And so – I mean, is it impressive if you put it in scope? She she goes to Mississippi, takes reign of the offense, and literally takes them on her back to the final. Pretty – I mean, if you think of it that way, it's very impressive. Yeah, most definitely. Um, a player like her, uh, it makes an offensive coordinator's job easy because at that point, with a player like that, you, you can open your playbook wide. You know what I mean? So you just have to uh, – create your playbook around a player like that. And the possibilities are limited, unlimited with her, you know. Coach, you talked about Mississippi in a, in a sense. Uh, Regina goes to the side. You got Knicks. Um, you got McCarran. So there are some pieces there, as to, your, to your point. If they, you know, mm-hmm. if they plug in a couple things and get some things, this could be of a more explosive offense than it already is, you know. Yeah, uh, more ways to keep a, a defense honest, you know. Um, but the 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 one thing that Mississippi and Texas had in common was they both knew how to expose the defense's uh, weakness, you know, with the elite most of the time with that throwing and, and whatnot. And their receivers, they expose the DBs and in the secondary, and, and that's what you need to do. Once you find a weakness, you got to stay on it. And that's what both teams did. That was a great uh, great matchup for you guys on, in terms of the playoff. Uh, what was the mindset going in against Mississippi? What was the message that you had for them in, in terms of that playoff game on June 8th? Well, it was basically, you know, just told them that, hey, the first time we played them, it's like, you know, your mistakes gave up too, much, too many points. You know, if you cut out those mistakes and you played just as hard as you did, you know, that first game, you know, uh, the, the scenario may be a little little different. The outcome would be different. Yeah. But uh, uh, 
it didn't work out that way. Again, they exposed uh, weaknesses and whatnot, which, you know, again, had talked to them for that. But um, at, at the same time, yeah, <coughs> excuse me, can't take anything from them because they got there and they make the best of the opportunity. Coach, uh, I want to take you to the, the – give, give me your thoughts on the WNFC playoffs. If you're Atlanta all year, you you were like, okay, we're blowing people out, right? <laughs> and then I, I just think in their in their mind that they were ready, but they weren't battle tested ready, right? And I think that was the lack in the uh, in terms of the East Coast, you know, the Washingtons and the and the Atlantas. I don't think they were as tested as you guys were in the Central or the Pacific Conference. Does, is, you think that makes a difference in terms of a you know, mentality, in other words, going into the playoffs and you not faced any real competition. I mean, that that loss against Mississippi, that really showed us, okay, they're not ready, right? Because it's like they're, they, they were scoring 60 points a game, but that's up against like 12 to 14 ranked teams in terms of the, you know, the level of competition. Of course you're going to blow it. But when you got to the, to the real challenge, um, I mean, I, I think they missed the boat. I mean, they're, they're so talented. They were so ready. They thought they were ready, and then all of a sudden, you know, here they are. They, Washington, even Washington, uh, brought, brought them down to earth. Uh, yeah, it's all about the opportunity, you know. Any Saturday, it depends on who shows up. Uh, I think uh, with Washington missing the playoffs in previous, you know, seasons and whatnot, they had something to prove. So they, they came out a, a little more heavy than, than usual. And um, I don't know whether or not Atlanta was comfortable or just figured that, you know, they do the same thing that they did before then. But um, <laughs> one play didn't go their way. You know? It's true. It's true. Very much true. Um, what, do, what do you think of your team, uh, the overall performance on offense? You know, like we had D. Scott as a focal point. You got Tagaloa as a focal point. Uh, you had some really good defense, uh, defensive uh, players as well on the other side. Radford, uh, Cherry, Wells, I mean, Cole. Uh, there's a, this is a pretty good talent on the defensive side for you. Yeah, but yeah, it, with any team, you got to make improvements. you got to make changes. Um, we have to definitely look at our strength and, and capitalize on those and focus more on what our strong you know, suits are and, and go with that. You know, um, <laughs> yeah, we we had some weapons, you know, we just didn't have enough. And uh, and again, you know, you can have the deepest roster there is, but if they don't trust each other and don't play together, you, you just got somebody out there in uniforms, you know. So, um, and, and that's one thing with the elite. These, these guys have been together for a while. They, they know each other. They trust each other. They believe in each other. You know, they can tell you what each other's thinking, what they have for breakfast, what mood they're in. And they, they take all of that into practice, into games, you know. Um, you can't, <clears throat> you know, say things about conspiracies and just that and the other when you got a team like that. It's like, no, you know, there's, there's logistics, there's um, talent, there's preparation, and they had all that. You take away the coaches, take away owners, take away the league, those players do what they need to do to get the job done. And that's, that's all that matters. So when another team steps up and they start to actually model that and do the same thing that's going over over there and just be like, as a player, I'm going to do what my next player is doing. I'm going to do what my teammates are doing. I'm going to do what my coaches expect of me just to get this done. We're going to do it together. Otherwise, it ain't going to happen. You know, so um, 
is is my thing is eighty fifteen five with this game. Eighty <clears throat> percent of it is, is your legs, fifteen percent involves your hands, and the other five percent is your mental, and that mental controls everything. So yep. it's either gonna make you or break you. So um, with my guys, I tell them I don't care about anything else. That five percent is death. It's life and death. So if you let it creep in and, and bring on all the I mentalities of, you know, um, what 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 am I getting out of this and why isn't why ain't I getting this or why you're not doing this or why you don't see me type thing? Like no, <laughs> it's a we thing, you know, um, and, and that's the only way things are going to get done, and that's the only way they're going to improve. You know, they've got an ownership that's you know doing what they need to do for them. So just uh, the minute they they actually decide that. They're going to do their part and just be players and leave everything else on the wayside. They'll be okay. Yeah, it's I, I, great point. You, you make some great points right there because that's literally what it is, the difference between a great team, a mediocre team, and maybe a team that isn't even on the radar. Um, what yeah. did you think of the season as a whole, Coach Soho, uh, in terms of the overall scope of uh, the WNFC season in itself? I mean, I think the Central really stood out for us you know, the whole season, very competitive. Uh, yeah, that division is definitely a, a, a tough one. It, it is a, a, an egg, you know. Um, but as, as far as the league goes, it gets better every season, you know. And, again, no league is perfect, even the NFL. They're not perfect. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. They can be close, you know. So um, I've been around this since 99, and it's night and day. So, um, again, nothing's perfect. But it, it gets better every year. The Pacific, I think, has uh, always kind of stayed the same, where I think the excitement this year was really the, the Central. The Central, I think, was a great move for the WNFC because it really gave uh, Kansas City, uh, you know, something to elevate for, gave you guys to elevate for, and then you, you were able to face, you know, two of the two of the finalists, right, in season. That only makes you better, yeah. I think. Yeah, of course. You know, you got them in season, like you said, and, and that gave you gave you your measuring point. You know, um, even you know every team we played, you know, gave us a, a challenge and, and things to learn from and, and showed us what we needed to work on as far as getting better as a team. But going against you know two of those teams is just <laughs> man, the possibilities. You know, it, it showed them all of that. You know, and it put in front of them exactly what it looks like. You know, when you do what you're supposed to do, when you're fully committed, you know, when you buy into to what's laid out in front of you. Um, Coach Soho, did you did you go to the weekend, the Nine Cup weekend? Did you attend any of the events? Uh, no, I didn't because you know I've been away from home for six six and a half months. So um, after mm-hmm. the playoffs, I came home. And it was like, <laughs> for me to leave again, it wouldn't have been very healthy for me, uh, family or relationship-wise. So no, I stayed home. <laughs> did you get yeah. to Did you get to see the the atmosphere? Yeah, I know we had posted on oh. our pages and everything else, but it was pretty good atmosphere. Um, I really, I really thought, uh, it, overall, you know, it was kind of a conference slash, you know, main event type mentality, which I think that makes. It's making the, this league stand out a lot more than any anything else. Yeah, yeah. As long as you you put on a show and have different things to occupy uh, folks and and make them really excited about what they're watching and participating in, it, it does good for for everybody involved. 
All right. Um, before I let you go, if you're Florida, if you're Philly, and if you're Kansas City, as an example, or even Seattle, right, uh, not di- didn't have the greatest season in the world, the one in fives, uh, what's, what's the mindset going into this 2024 for those teams? Uh, you got to keep pushing, you know. Um, you got to make some changes, and you got to start a little sooner than you normally would, you know. Um, for everybody, uh, even even the elite recruiting is, is the biggest thing, you know. Um, you got to get people coming in who will complement the talent that you already have. Um, but keep pushing, man. That's all you can do. Push it and recruit, you know. <laughs> and if if you're a team uh, coach that, you know, lost in the playoffs, I mean, like you said earlier, you're maybe a couple talents away from acquiring some people, right, to get to the next level. Right. Right. And exactly. Um, I know it's always said that one person can't change the program, but I I don't believe that. <laughs> I totally believe that one person can change the program to, to you know, to the better, you know, um, especially if, if that person is a leader, a natural leader, not a force leader, but a natural leader with talent. Um, the other players will, will tend to gravitate and follow those type of people. All right, so I got a message, and on the message, I got a question for you. Uh, will Coach Soho Chanel return to the Houston Mambas in 2024? <laughs> you already know, man. We've been going through this a couple of times. I don't feed you any information, man. I keep everything low day to day. You already know me, man. <laughs> I had to pry something. I mean, it's a fan question. I, I, know. I mean, I think I would actually be disappointed if you hadn't actually got. Um, but right now I'm focused on my uh, the men's fall season. I've actually just been named head coach of my men's team. So going into the fall, and that's where my focus is. Thank you, sir. So I'm just uh, focused on that right now. But, you know, the, the mamas have my heart. But, you know, right now I'm focused on my, my men's team. Um, All right. <laughs> so we will uh, wait for the announcement. Is that where is that where you're uh, leaving us with? We will wait for the announcement. Yeah, I, Come January. Say, of course, of course, that's all I can say. We have to, we have to wait know, for again, after but... Christmas to get the, to get the message <laughs> or the answer to the message. Thanks for submitting the question, uh... by the way, because I already knew that the answer was not going to be very easy. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Uh, it, 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 yes, it, what do they say, Coach? If you want to be PC, you're PC. So that was the PC answer, right? We'll see what go. happens down the road. <laughs> there you go, guy. Appreciate you, man. <laughs> All right, Coach, I appreciate you making the time. Uh, congratulations on your uh, assignment as head coach in the men's side. Uh, really deserving. And, uh, you know, Thank also you. congratulations on your uh, your great season uh, with the new franchise. The inaugural season of the Houston Mambas is going to be memorable for seasons to come. Uh, a great run plus a, pay- a postseason appearance. So, uh, you know, awesome job. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate you. All right, Coach. Thank you very much. Safe travels. Uh, we'll look forward to the announcement of 2024, whether you return or not. That's where we're leaving it at. Gotcha. Okay, man. <laughs> Have a good one. You too, guys. All right, guys. Uh, Coach uh, Soho Tillman. 
uh, Chanel Tillman, uh, she's just not going to give us the, the lowdown or the confirmation, as they would say. But, uh, you know, what an outstanding season for her. The Mambas, very impactful all through the season. Took on Texas Elite twice, took on Mississippi twice. Uh, I mean, what, what can you ask for? And then also Mississippi in, the, in terms of the playoff state and uh, an evolving program there. And so hopefully she returns because that's what we would want to see, uh, an opportunity for her to come to the second season and maybe take the Houston Mambas uh, to a deeper level in terms of the WNFC nine cup chase. So we're looking forward to the 2024 season and whether uh, Coach uh, Chanel Soho returns to the uh, Houston Mambas of the WNFC. So let's bring in the Oracle of women's tackle football. That is the uh, backseat coach, Mark Simone and, TL Talks podcast host, Coach Terry Lister in the house. Okay, guys, uh, so I could not pry Coach Soho from committing to 2024. I tried. Guy, you you would not be able to get Coach Soho to tell you what she plans to have for breakfast tomorrow morning, man. (laughs) She's she's one tough tough cookie. (laughs) No, I was, I was trying to get it out of her, Mark, but it just didn't happen. But she did leave me on a PC mode, right? Come January, we don't know. Could be, you know, the future doesn't know. So, but hopefully she'll return, right, Mark? Because it's an impressive first year. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, having another competitive team, you know, in the central um, division with the Houston Mambas really changed the whole kind of complexion, you know, of, of that conference and really the whole league. I, I mean, it made a really big difference, um, you know. Um, and I think you touched – I think you touched on that, you know. Um, uh, with Kansas City, you know, it gave Kansas City more competition. Uh, you know, Denver, uh, you know, Mississippi, Texas, you know, it's, it, it, it just – it provided competition where the previous Houston team simply did not. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Terry wants her, uh, wants her back because it, Terry's 0-1 against her. So he'd like to even that match up. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's not about me for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like you're not Mark going, said. Terry, you're not going back like her. Are you giving us a PC too? <laughs> you don't know if you're coming back. Yeah. Yeah, actually, um, not to be a spoiler alert, but there is a chance that I won't return with Denver Bandits next season. So uh, we'll see what my future holds as well. Um, but it would be a shame if Coach Solo didn't return because, like you guys said, Houston uh, Mambas, for them to go to the playoffs in, in their first season is, is amazing. And so, um, you know, for them to build on that and become more and more competitive every year is definitely the hope. Um, but losing her would be a big would be a, um, you know, a big loss for them. And so hopefully she, she comes back because they've had an awesome first season. Yeah, it was a pretty impressive season. And then to take on, you know, Texas and Mississippi in season, not, not to discount anybody else, but, you know, just to be competitive in that sense too, uh, I think that was pretty impressive. And, you know, congratulations to her um, on being head, uh, named head coach over on the men's side too. So, I mean, she brings a lot to the table, and obviously that's a, a credit to her uh, pedigree as a coach as well. So, um, all right, guys, um, Terry, uh, we talked about mm-hmm. it. 
and we said uh, Mississippi needed to be what limiting turnovers, right? That was yep. one of the things. We got limited turnovers, and then we said what the next thing was. They got to score in every on, in every position, and we're zero and two on those <laughs> two, and the end result was a loss. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> um, like here's the thing: beating a team like Texas requires a lot of things to go right. Um, you have to play really well, coach really well, uh, maybe have the ball bounce your way a couple times, and um, you know, just play a really good game and coach a really good game and put it all together. Obviously, Mississippi didn't do that, and so the result was 49-7 to Texas, um, which is really unfortunate. You know, Mississippi has had an awesome season. They have a lot of amazing athletes, but um, I think Sunday night was a great reminder about where Texas is in this sport currently. Um, you know, they have this team that's filled with players that have been playing for a long time, you know, former Team USA, former All-Pros, All-Americans, you name it. And so these players not only not only have been to championship games, but they've won them. So having that experience where they're not going to get, you know, um, gun-shy when it comes to the bright lights, that's so huge. So OJ being ready for it as a coach, the players being ready for it because they've done it before, and then obviously, obviously executing. And so um, Brady Bushman threw a few passes that could have been intercepted, but they weren't intercepted. Um, and so that's unfortunate. And like you said, Texas, or, or, uh, Mississippi just has to score a lot of points to have a chance. And unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Um, former Denver Bandit, Nat Nix, scored the only touchdown for Mississippi. To so shout out to Nat Nix for scoring all three of the touchdowns uh, Mississippi scored versus Texas this season. Um, but obviously, the goal isn't to score one touchdown. And uh, Mississippi fell short. But my hope is that Mississippi builds off of that, comes back bigger and stronger next year, and um, bridges the gap, you know, which is always the, which is always the hope. But – Easier said than done. Mark, at one point at the beginning, I did take into Terry's account, eh, they don't look intimidated. They're going down. They're trying to shove it down the end zone. And then we got, you know, missed strikes, missed strikes, missed strikes. And then you're like, okay, this is not going to work or end well. <laughs> you're, you're in the humble blue zone. You must, you know, Jackson has to catch it, catch it. Somebody's got to catch it and – it, it, it that was the story of the game right there at the beginning. The beginning was there's hope, and then all of a sudden they just start misfiring, and it just didn't, you know, credit Texas D, of course. Oh, yeah, obviously. Um, it, yeah, and I agree with you. I definitely had the same sort of sensation that, that you had. You know, Mississippi did come out, and they, they looked pretty good, and they were able to advance the ball up the field. And... um you know, we felt like, well, you know, maybe they can, you know, they can punch it in and then maybe we'll have a game here. Um, but, you know, as you said, like just when it, when it counted really the most, um, they didn't get the job done. Um, the Dallas defense, which is obviously was a very good defense, you know, turned them away. And so it was all for naught. And uh, I really do feel like you know that that's not an insurmountable thing in a football game 
But in a championship game, that's very deflating to have that type of opening drive and then get turned away with no points, you know. And then then you got to deal with, you know, Texas offense. Um, and it just didn't <laughs> – it just didn't go well for Mississippi, you know, from that point onward. And that's Terry, very deflating for a team. Terry, when you have to punt the ball away against Texas, it's not good. <laughs> it's just not good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's tough, man, because you want to be – like, if you want to beat Texas, you have to play aggressive and not scared. So, like, if it's fourth down and it's at midfield, I would go for it. You know, if it's fourth down and maybe less than seven or eight, I probably would go for it because you have to take chances. Um, but to your point, when you do punt it to them and you're punting it to, you know, Liz Landry or Tara Thomas, good luck. You know what I mean, they might return it to midfield or inside the 20. So they just have such a good team and, and, and pro like stars everywhere that it's kind of like pick your po- poison. Um, and so Mississippi really had to come out and play near, near Falls football um, and coach near Falls football, and they didn't do that. And so, you know, I think a lot of it does come down to their first time being in a championship, but, you know, there's no excuses in this sport. Like, they had a chance to win the game. They didn't do that. So they have to learn from it and come back stronger. So uh, hopefully that's what they do. Terry, defensively, um, mm-hmm. I think they already had a solid plan, right? Because literally – when, like you said, intimidation was one of the factors coming into the game. Like you, you pointed out last last podcast, if you feel intimidated mm-hmm. or feared about it, right, they got you. Yeah. And I think that's literally what they set the tone in the first in the first series. They gave them the yardage, right? Oh, they, I think mm-hmm. it was like what half the quarter in the opening drive. Yeah. They took it, right? Yep. They literally took it. Yep. They allowed them because on some of those plays I was watching, I'm like, they're like, okay, we're only going to focus on Gore try to beat us and they did yeah. they focused on gore they got to the end right and then at the end they're like you won't beat us and like, it was almost crushing to see that it was like miss miss uh miss shot to jackson miss shot to here miss shot to there right uh, mm-hmm. gore couldn't run because the wall was building up it, it was like mm-hmm. i don't know they, they were just they were just kind of teasing in a way in the first quarter and then they kind of got into this like okay you're going to have to use all three phases of your uh, offense to beat us, and they weren't able to do that because, you know, they already knew there was no run game besides Rashawn. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, from my perspective, Rashawn uh, Gore came out and she missed a lot of passes early. So it was awesome that Mississippi took up half the first quarter um, with their, 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 their drive, but – Gore just like time and time again kept on selling passes, which probably probably attributes to like how geeked up she was for the game, right? She's in the championship playing her former mm-hmm. team, biggest stage in women's football. So it's hard to kind of calm your nerves, right? And um, throw accurate passes, but her selling pass after pass in the first quarter kind of um, doomed them from scoring points early, in my opinion. And then to your point, you know, she would have, she would have had to make great reads, um, found open receivers, and only took off when it was when it was there. Um, but Texas had a really good game plan for the rematch, 
if you watch the week one game, Gore was able to take mm-hmm. off and pick mm-hmm. up key yards on third and fourth down, and this time it just wasn't there. And there was no plan B, um, unfortunately, for Mississippi. You know, instead of Gore taking off when she could and, and throwing the ball downfield, she just wasn't accurate enough for that plan to to lead into points. And so you live and learn. Um, but definitely seeing the, seeing the final score being 49-7 to 7 is not not great for anybody. Um, obviously, it's impressive for Texas, but not not really ideal for the league. Um, th- th- I think everybody wanted to have a more competitive game, but that's just not the, w- the, the way the game went. And so the league just has to understand where Texas is at and uh, where, they, where they need to be, and everybody needs to bridge the gap. So there's no excuses. You just have to get better, and that's, that's for every team in the WNC, not just Mississippi Panthers. Yeah. Mark, the, the fact that Tara Thomas – broke out for 59 yards after that little break. Uh, that literally was kind of deflating in a way. But then you turn around and what, like, <laughs> you get Brittany Satterwhite on a jet sweep less than a minute into gone into the second quarter, and it was literally, okay, 28-0? Uh, to zero? <laughs> Okay, this is not going to end yeah. well. Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, Mississippi didn't stop Texas' offense from doing anything that they wanted for the most part. You know, sure, you know, you know, they had a few mistakes here and there, a couple misfires or whatever, uh, close calls and interceptions. Um, but, you know, for the most part, that was about it. Yeah. They, had, they had their way. They had their way, right? You know, Tara mm-hmm. Thomas uh, ripped it up. You know, I think she was the game – was she the game MVP? Yeah, yep. and you know, as you mentioned, you know, Satterwhite. I mean, you could you could pick, you know, names out of a hat, and you'll remember a big play that that person made in the game, right? There was just whether it was passing, um, or or rushing, and it didn't matter who you know who got their hands on the ball. They seemed to be able to do whatever they wanted, and that's that's pretty rough because. You know, we know that Mississippi has a pretty pretty good defense, but I think you know they were just out personnel. They're you know Texas is too stacked on on offense for um, you know Mississippi's defense to really make a stand. You know, and it was great that uh, Mississippi's offense you know had had a long first drive, but they needed to keep having long drives. To give their, <laughs> yeah. off, their defense a little bit of a break here and there, right? Absolutely. And Absolutely. yeah, again, some of those breaks just didn't go Mississippi's way. Terry, if you're a head coach and you're standing on the mm. sideline, you're getting your ass whooped twenty to zero, and then all of a sudden mm. you got a slow, uh, a low snap, and then all of a sudden OG falls on him and gets a touchdown at the end zone. Ah, uh, that's yeah. got to be like heartbreaking. Oh, absolutely. So, like, the way the game flow went, it was 28 nothing. Um, then it might have been 28-7, to and then it became 35-7 to because of that botched uh, mm-hmm. punt snap. So, like, it's so deflating because if you're down 28 nothing, you know that you have to play lights out to have a chance, in my opinion. Um, you have to get stops on defense. You have to score on offense. Obviously, simple math to get back in the game. Well, 
Mississippi does score a touchdown finally, and then they they um, get a stop. But when they do that punt, and this is this is to add to my point from earlier, to beat a team like Texas, you have to play a complete game of good football. That means playing high level football on offense and defense and special teams. Don't don't forget about special teams, and then also coaching right. your ass off. So for them to have that botched punt snap. Um, for them to not have a plan B for what for what Texas defense did to contain Gore, um, and then obviously their defense gave up some big plays in Texas. And so, I mean, it was I wouldn't say it's complete domination, but it was close to that. Um, and that that special teams play was just icing on the cake to a game that already wasn't wasn't ideal. And so Mississippi was just playing from behind and trying to you know trying to make it respectable. But that 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 um, bad punt snap was very deflating, um, just for the flow of the game, and so it just contributed to the score. And and you look at it, Mark. Uh, once that happened, we're lo- watching the game. We already know at some point Mississippi had no chance to come back, like mm-hmm. no chance, mm-hmm. because it just you could see it. Like there was no chance. Uh, the fact that you know they weren't on the same page, they were missing you know the catches. Um, they were going to rely on just one person to make it happen, and that was not going to happen because they already shut down. And we talked about it last last podcast. I said if Gore would go down, right, uh, it would it would be up to Jackson to step up in the moment. Technically, you know, Texas just said, have Gore beat us. That's literally what the game plan was. Yeah. Have Gore beat yeah. us. Can't she beat us? That's smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, and you know, um, time for a little real talk. Uh, Gore is not the type of player who I think can bring you back from four tu- four touchdowns. Definitely, no. um, we know that she's a very you know she, she's physically uh, talented player, right? And she, you know, um, she has played in a lot of big games in her career. You know, playoff mm-hmm. games with the Seattle Majestics long ago. You know, she was a quarterback for the Chicago Force and, and played lots of big games, um, played in the Alliance Bowl in, like, whatever, 2014 or something. So, you know, she and she, you know, she played on Texas. So she's no stranger to playing on a, on a, on a you know, uh, a, a big, in a big moment. But, yeah. you know, she is inconsistent, right? Uh, I think we've, you know, the – the Rashawn Gore that we saw this year with, you know, almost as many interceptions as touchdowns um, and, you know, you know, a, a completion percentage that's kind of low. I mean, that is who she is. And that's the type of play that she can't lead you to victory down four or five touchdowns. So, uh, you know, I think you're right, you know. Texas definitely said, well, you know, have Gore beat us, and it just it just wasn't possible. And, Terry, if you're on the other side, I mean, that's, that's like the right thing to do, right? If you're the coaching staff, you're like, that is the most talented player they have. They have nobody in, in terms of a run game. That is their run mm-hmm. game. Let's shut them down. Mm-hmm. And, and now you, you – what did you do? You challenged Jackson, Young, and Knicks to beat you, and they failed. Well, it is a very smart um, coaching game plan for sure because, like, Mississippi has Candace Davis, English Bennett, 
and Jay Lacey at running back. All good running backs, all different running back styles. Um, Candace Davis got some carries towards the end of the game and actually was fairly successful with some, like, five-plus yard gains. Um, maybe it was versus their prevent defense, who knows. But, um, like, to your point, te- Texas basically said, you're not going to run on us. Whether it's with Gore or the running backs, yep. you're just not going to run on us. So you're, so you had all these good stats with passing all year. You're going to have to show us on the biggest stage that you can beat us passing um, with mm-hmm. your quarterback and your receivers versus our DBs and our secondary. And um, mm-hmm. that was the right game plan. Obviously, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, so we know how it played out. But um, it was a really good game plan for Texas, and Gore was ready for the moment. She was excited. She sailed passes early because she was too excited, and then she, she later on calmed down, threw a, threw a touchdown to, to Knicks. But I think, like, to beat Texas, you have to be on point from the first snap. And guess who was on point from the first snap? Brittany Bushman. So mm-hmm. that's the difference between Texas and everybody else is they have all these players that have a whole bunch of experience, have played in championship games, have won championships, and when you actually get to the game, no matter how you look on paper, um, all that kind of gets thrown out the window, and it comes down to who's going to coach better, who's going to play better, who's going to play all, all, all three of the facets well, and um, unfortunately it wasn't close. And so that's just the reality we have to all take into the offseason. And we talked about it in our uh, chat room, uh, Mark, the the gap. We talk about the gap between the elite and everybody else in the WNFC. And uh, I think I meant, meant in credit, the only team that has challenged them in any format uh, has been Utah. I think 1914 was the first uh, under uh, Coach, Coach Rick, right? Uh, held them to 14 points, uh, even yep. though they lost 1914. Um, so technically – the number two team all year in the WNFC still is the second best team to challenge Texas. So if you're the rest of the, you know, what, 14 teams in the WNFC, Mark, uh, you got to be top five consistently, or you got to be top three, top four, right? That's San Diego, that's Denver, that's whoever's in line for that, that next stage, which is Vegas. If you're watching that nine cup game, Mark, uh, you're saying to yourself, Maybe we were that Mississippi, and that's how we would have ended up too. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's and, – and that's the gap, isn't it? That's, mm-hmm. that's the gap that, you know, you just uh, mentioned, the one that, that Terry also mentioned. Um, there, there's just a significant gap between uh, where the Texas elite is and the other teams, you know, all the other teams – in the league, including, you know, the historically, you know, next best team, uh, arguably uh, Texas, you know, primary nemesis, uh, the Utah Falcons, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the Falcons didn't make it to the final this year, um, but historically um, their program has shown to be, you know, the next most competitive um, uh, program in the WNFC after, after Texas, no doubt about it. Terry, the triple option to me is still the biggest threat to Texas. If you, if you look at it that way, right? 1914 triple option first year. Yeah. And then even, even yeah. in the night in the best of the West, it was triple option. So that was the only yeah. 
that's been the only scheme that has put Texas maybe on its back a little bit and held them back in terms of an output, a high, a high output in scoring. That's true. Um, there was the best of the West tournament right before the WNFC was creative, created um, that also had a close game between Utah and Dallas. And so in their existence, um, they've only had two close games, one, one against Utah in the championship and one against Alabama Fire. And um, they've only had three close games if you count the best of the West, and that was all, all against Utah also. So, so to your point, Utah's triple option, you can make the argument – that you have to put a caveat that it's Utah's triple option under Rick Rasmussen, which is debatable. Um, we don't know if it would be as effective um, with Jasper Horn calling the plays because, um, you know, we didn't, we didn't get to see that matchup this year. But we know that in the past that has been um, the hardest thing for for Dallas to defend and stop. Um, and I can relate to that. I've, I've, put, I've coached against Utah Falcons probably – six or eight times in my career and um, <clears throat> trying to prepare for a team like that, that runs that offense, that is a lot of misdirection. Um, a lot of it relies on your defense being disciplined and not over pursuing. Um, that's just hard to do, man. I mean, it's, especially if you don't have 11, you know, enough players at practice to go 11 v 11. I mean, good luck. <laughs> like, you know, trying to prepare for a team like Utah's offense, um, it's just like a really big, a really big, um, like thing to to try to defeat. So Denver was able to beat Utah last year a couple times, barely. Um, that was that was the year that Rick uh, retired. But um, those games were ugly. We barely won. And um, I would say that it's it's a little bit of both, right? It's coaching and the scheme, but it's also the players. So if you if you go mm-hmm. back to the players that Utah had when they played Texas close, we're talking about yep. a Tina Teller that's five years younger. We're talking about Luis Bean at quarterback. Um, we're talking about Keisha Cox in her, in her prime, you know, um, mm-hmm. just certain players, Lexi floor at receiver, you know, like all these are really good players that make a difference. Um, and so since those players aren't there now, or they're five years older, that obviously makes a difference. And um, I think the silver lining for Utah is they have a farm system um, for, you know, girls coming up, young girls to play football when they, when they hit 18, and some of their players are 18 and 19 years old. So that's awesome for them. I wish we could duplicate that in Denver. Um, but I think the future is bright for Utah, and it's only a matter of time until they get back to where they used to be. And so that's exciting for the sport. So if you're coach, uh, coach of the year, Coach Jasper, we just gave you the blueprint yep. to beat Texas. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we just sat yep. down and, hey, we got it all figured out, Coach. We're good. Just follow <laughs> our lead. <laughs> yeah. This is how you beat Texas. Triple option. We're good. <laughs> no. Not as easy as that, as Terry says here. It's more complicated than that. But, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's something to think about, right? If you're the 2-16 to mm-hmm. 16 team in the WNFC, right? If you're going to get to that mm-hmm. stage against, uh, you're going to have to find a way, right, to limit their capabilities in order for you to have a chance. And so far, like yeah. like to my point, so far, you know, Utah's been the only team in terms of the history of the WNFC in terms of the final. Utah's That's true. the only team that is that is a five point put up a fight deficit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that when you, like Terry says before, that is impressive. 
<laughs> compared to all the other scores, that would be completely competitively impressive. So um, maybe if Sarah Galicia will have the formula and return to the stage and, you know, run that triple option to to, to beat Texas, but we'll we'll see. Um, what did you guys think, uh, uh, Mark, what did you think of the honors? Uh, we already knew offensive player of the year was going to be Maria Jackson. Uh, Terry said, hey, defensive player of the year was going to be Amber Kraft. Uh, we already knew Bushman would get the MVP. It was just like no – you know, unless unless a miracle happened, uh, it wasn't you know it was gonna be nobody else. But uh, Brittany obviously gets the MVP, um, mm-hmm. and she we don't know if she's coming back. That was like the announcer's uh, little pitch: is she coming back or not? Well, we don't know yet. Yet, um, shutdown corner was Diamond. Uh, rookie uh, was the international star Kelly uh, Whitehead of the Kansas Whitehead. City Glory. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was um, ch- game changer Rashida Young. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the ownership? Obviously, deserving Houston, no question there. Mm-hmm. Uh, coach Coach Jasper Horn, uh, you know, an impressive first year as coach. Uh, and then uh, the team of the year, of course, Mississippi. I think that's no question either. Mississippi was the team of the year. Uh, in the trenches, Shanice Cole. Uh, I agree with that. And then uh, the fan base of the year, Seattle. And I, I think uh, Seattle does get fanfare for every team. I think it's one of the only markets that, like, okay, they'll they'll support every team, from the youth team to the hockey to soccer to, you know, too bad they don't have the NBA anymore. But in reality, you know, right. Seattle is a good fan base. Yeah, they, yeah, that, that's a good fan town. You know, second maybe only to, you know, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh definitely turns out for all their teams no matter what. Um so, you know, it's kind of funny when you, you know, when you mention all the, uh, you know, award winners, they all seem very obvious, right? Uh, it's a little bit harder when you have choices in front of you, um, but just hearing, you know, the recipients of all those rewards, I suppose it's fair to say they're, you know, they're all deserving, uh, of course, um, but also, you know, those aren't surprising choices, no controversial choices at all, Um um, they're all befitting of of their awards um, in each in each category. Congratulations to to everybody on a you know a job well done this season. Terry, uh, the the season ends on a disappointing final, but overall, I think the the, the season was great. The Pacific Division, the Central Division, was very uh, very good to watch. Right, uh, East Coast obviously a lot to d- desire, but overall I think Terry uh, the, the WNFC season was uh, very successful in two divisions. So if we get one more division up to that next level, uh, we could see a different level in 2024. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that the WNFC se- season itself was a success um, as far as how many good teams there were. Um, you know, the Central Division having all those good teams in the same division. You know, the playoff race, it, it, it coming down to the very last week to see who's going to, you know, grab those last few playoff spots. Like, all that stuff is just great TV, right? Um, so, that's a win. And then in the playoffs, um, the playoffs were exciting, in, from my opinion, because, like, I thought Mississippi would come out of the east and I thought Texas would come out of the west. But I wouldn't have guessed that San Diego would beat Utah the way they, the way that they did. Um, I wouldn't guess that Mississippi would beat Washington the way that they did. 
And so all those things are unforeseen, but they're interesting, right? And and it's it's mm-hmm. going to be intriguing to see how the, the off season goes because um, because those games went that way. That's that's obviously going to make certain um, players and coaches feel certain ways about their program or how they handled certain things. And um, it'll be interesting to see. I always say like it's harder to decipher because you'll, you'll hear players saying that they're a free agent or whatever after the season, and that you have to kind of separate it, right? Half of them are just being emotional, and they'll change their mind in about a month. But the other, mm-hmm. other half of them really, really are going to leave, and they're going to, you know, enter the transfer portal and find a new home. And so depending on what players those are, those, those can send shockwaves through, through the league. And so I'll be interested to see how, how that, all that plays out. Yeah, the off season this year is going to be a lot more intense, I think, in a lot of ways because some of the teams that I, some of the teams that thought they were going to be in the playoff mode eventually did not arrive. Right? You know, you're talking Kansas City at the beginning of the year. We thought they were stacked; mm-hmm. they had a lot of talent. And all of a sudden, as you go through the year, you know, they got injuries and all the things happen where it just derailed them. Right? So there's a lot of teams that way. And then there's uh, like I talked to Coach Soho the one in five teams, right? They got to reflect, you know, what went wrong and how they can get better, you know, to be from the bottom up to come up. Um, if you're a three and three team, I mean, you're almost at, at that next level where you're missing a, a couple of players, right? Things like that. So a lot of things to di- dissect in terms of the WNFC uh, 2024 season. So uh, great game, mm-hmm. not the game that we anticipated in terms of a shootout or excitement, but congratulations to Texas once again for being champions and Mississippi for having a great season. Um, Mark, let's go into the WFA postseason, and let's see here. Um, did we expect the Snow Leopards to really give Zydeco a competitive matchup? And that's what we got. Yep. Well, you know, I mean, they did they did post a three and three season, so you know, and they definitely were much improved um, over last year. Uh, were the Snow Leopards? Uh, Maybe I didn't expect such, you know, a, a close game. I'm really glad it happened. In fact, you know, there were a number of one-point victories in um, the WFA postseason uh, here. And, and five five games uh, were, you know, less than five-point margins. So uh, that's very good. Only two shutouts um, here in uh, the postseason uh, in this week. So all really good. Um but, uh, you know, back to the Spice, I mean, you know, they were kind of flying um, under the radar a little bit, you know, because they played a lot of very tough competition, right? They were playing uh, divisions above them, uh, above themselves for the most part um, for for the whole season. And, you know, at the end of the regular season, they only had um, a one in five record but they clearly showed that they belong in the playoffs by winning this, this game against the snow leopards, 35 to 34. Um, uh, Sioux Falls was hosting the match. So they were the, they were the favorite going in. Um, so, but, you know, I, I think, I think we all felt like, you know, the spice probably uh, were the better team or we're going to win this one. I think you're right. We were a little bit unexpected that, it would be a, a tooth and nail fight, you know, as it was a one point margin only. So, you know, kudos to uh, the snow leopards on 
a great season. Um, you know, they came out on the on the losing end in the playoffs. But honestly, you know, it, it's hard to ask for any better than you know, um, you know, a one point loss against a team that's that's ex- very experienced actually in the Zydeco Spice. Um, Perry, uh, if you're New York knockout, you didn't make the playoffs because of Massey. You do make the playoffs, uh, and you get that one-point loss from Maine, who wasn't even playing last year, and they edge you one point. That's got to be devastating for New York knockout. Brutal, brutal. Yeah, like you said, missed the uh, playoffs being undefeated, right, last year? Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, so undefeated team out of the playoffs thanks to Massey last year. They finally get a, a playoff game. Um, this year's schedule was harder for them, obviously, which probably was intentional. So for them to lose by one point in two overtimes is brutal. Um, so that's going to be a long off season for them. Thinking about that, but I'm sure they'll get they'll, they'll build and get better from it. So no worries there. Mark, uh, New Mexico, the shocking team of the year. Would you call it that? New Mexico Bandias. They they they, they got to be shocking. Like. They're ready for well, the playoffs, yeah. I think. They're ready for the stage. Right. I, I, th- I think from a, uh, a certain aspect um, for, you know, a first-year team, so-called first-year team, to win uh, the first round of the playoffs is pretty remarkable. And they did it against the Rocky Mountain Thundercats team that um, was really primed to, to go places this season um and um you know a 22 to 0 victory um for the Benitas and they're advancing to conference final in division 3 um that's that is a really remarkable achievement um uh but we do know that said we do know that there are a lot of uh, good and experienced football players in New Mexico um, uh, who played, who have, who have experience. So I, ex- I expect that uh, they make up the core of, of this Benitez team. And uh, they're, they're ready. They seem like they're ready to go. Without this, uh, without this loss, I mean, without the loss in the, la- the last week of the regular season, right, uh, they would be basically on a uh, six-game winning streak. You know, right. that loss to – so – uh, I think they they know what's ahead of them, and they know that this is this has got to be they got to play better in the next round as well. So, um, Terry, mm-hmm. let's go into the uh, D two realm. Our own Max, forty two to six. I think uh, salty was salty, <laughs> or the Sprite team was salty because wow, forty two to six. Yeah, Nebraska Pride uh, showed up in a big way in their first playoff game against the Austin Outlaws, so 42, 42 to 6 is pretty dominant. I mean, it's similar to the WNFC final score, um, so it sounds like Nebraska had their way with them and probably, you know, that was dominant offense, defense, and special teams, so awesome first win for them, and um, looking forward to see how they perform in the next round. Mark, uh, we already said the Lady Force, it was going to be a no contest, but they did make the statement to say confirmed, no contest. Seventy to zero. Yeah, that's <laughs> seventy burger. Yeah, that was. Um, yeah, I think we all knew that it wasn't going to be much of a competition. Um, you know, not to take anything away from the the stout, 
but the you know Oklahoma, Oklahoma City Lady Force are a, a dominant team, and they just they showed us why. And you know you want to be <laughs> making a loud statement when you go into the playoffs, and they did just that. So Terry, if you're the Wolves, uh, do you got to worry about OKC right now? <laughs> you should be. You know what I mean? It's like uh, the Wolves. Sure. I mean, very impressive. Thirty-one to six against Atlanta. Atlanta, I think, kind of shot themselves in the foot in a lot of ways in that game. Yeah, they did. Um, Atlanta looked like a first-year team, which is what that's what they are. And so I wasn't surprised yeah. that New York. I thought it was going to be closer than that for sure. Um, Thirty-one to six is pretty dominant, and so obviously Atlanta Rage will learn from that and, and come back stronger. Um, but pretty decisive victory for New York. So now it's looking like a New York OKC final. And if, I, if I'm New York, I'm very concerned about OKC. Um, New York beat Tri-State Warriors by eight points. Um, they beat the Baltimore Nighthawks by three points. I mean, those those scores those scores are indicative of a team that can be beat. And OKC is the team that, that will take, you know, they're not going <laughs> to let off the gas. So definitely uh, the biggest threat to New York Wolves, in my opinion, is OKC for sure. Mark, I forgot the other matchup in D3. Uh, Palm Beach, almost impressive as New Mexico. Just, you know, first year into the WFA from the WTFL. They're very successful there. 34-6, to resounding statement. We thought Virginia was going to come out and, be more competitive, but it wasn't the case. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Virginia posted a, an undefeated 6-0 and record in the regular season. And uh, these weren't close games by any stretch of the imagination. And we're talking like, you know, rolling up, you know, anywhere between, you know, you know, 20 to 82-point margins over some of these teams. Um, and But, you know, maybe the competition they faced um, just – wasn't tough enough to get the Panthers ready for for the playoffs or a team like the Palm Beach Coyotes who, you know, for their part, you know, they played they played, you know, the Orlando Anarchy twice. They and they played division two teams uh three times on their schedule. And so, you know, I I, I think this is a uh, you know, an example of you know, the schedule you play in the regular season preparing you for the playoffs. And the team that mm-hmm. played the tougher regular season schedule was, you know, was the victor in this matchup, and that's the Palm Beach Coyotes. Terry, uh, you said Baltimore-Columbus was going to be a very close matchup in 13-11. to 11. This, is, this has been a mm-hmm. rivalry for a long time. So Baltimore edges. Mm-hmm. Are they ready for New York? Do you think they're going to be – I mean, this is uh, – they don't score much in terms of their, like, output. And New York, once yeah. they get going, I mean, we could see a game, like, uh, against Atlanta, right? Yeah. I mean, we – they played in the regular season. I believe Baltimore won that game by two points also. And so I thought since the game was in Columbus, the Columbus would pull it out. But I knew it was going to be close either way. So I'm not surprised that, that um, Baltimore won 13-11. to 11. I was hoping that, that Columbus would pull it out so I could be the correct one out of the three of us. Um, but <laughs> the, 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 football, the football gods didn't, didn't uh, give me the nod this week. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, with all due respect, I don't think 
like Baltimore lost to New York by three points earlier in the season. I did not think that will be the case in the playoffs. I think New York will win by at least two scores um, because they're just, they're just playing better football at this point. So that's my prediction. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. I think that's that, – that, that Baltimore – ultimately, Baltimore, we've been saying it year after year after year, Mark, right? Baltimore has to yeah. show up in the playoffs. They, they, they just, that just—that is their thing. They've got to show up in the playoffs. And um, you know, I, I also agree with Terry. I, I feel like um, this is not going to be um, a similar matchup to the two uh, regular season meetings. You know, I, I think New York is is putting their, you know, uh, putting the pedal to the metal, and they're you know going to outscore. Of Baltimore in this one. I, I don't think Baltimore is going to have the offensive fireworks to um, to uh, to get the victory. Um, but with any with any luck, we're going to see uh, we're going to see still a great game. Yeah, uh, Terry, you you did say Houston must must overcome Minnesota, and this is a, you know they lost in season. And all of a sudden, you know, they did keep up with them in a better state than they did in the in the regular season game, but they do get edged 38-34. to 38-34. So a more competitive balance attack Houston had this time around. Unfortunately, you know, one, one play decides pretty much how they end their season, but, uh, you know, it, it, a successful season in, in pro all the way around for Houston. Yeah, yeah, I think Houston, Houston had a good first first year in pro. Um, I know they wanted that revenge against Minnesota badly. So, you know, for them to lose by four um, is a testament to, you know, game planning and good coaching. And obviously having to travel to Minnesota is not a good time. So um, shout out to, to Houston Energy for almost getting that revenge and advancing to the, um, the Western Finals. But, uh, you know, they came up short, so I'm sure that they'll, uh, they'll learn from it and build for next season also. Mark, uh, we anticipated Cali War uh, to somewhat be competitive, but we already, you know, we had mentioned what the scheduling, probably not battle-tested, and here we are. St. Louis exposes them for what they are. Not battle-tested. Right. 49-14. Right. That, that, that's right. And, you know, just, just to press a rewind button, you know, in the last game of the regular season – you know, the Minnesota Vixen team exposed Cali, you know, in, in that final regular season game by, you know, mis, you know making a second-half comeback um, and to, to steal a victory away from, from Cali. And I think it really exposed, like, a lot of, you know, Cali's sort of weaknesses. They didn't have the fortitude to, to stay in that game, right? So uh, Cali, I think, was already reeling by the time they got into St. Louis to face the slam and um, you know, the, the slam just put the screws to them. Um, you know, it's, it sounds harsh to say, but it, it wasn't even really a competition um, for very long. You know, uh, the slam just, you know, just, just overworked them. Uh, you know, uh, Kelly, you know, we're okay towards the beginning, I think, which is what you would expect. Um, but it just, it just wasn't enough. The two, the two quarterback committee 
with Cali War, I think, doesn't work. So it didn't work. You know what I mean? So you got to be consistent, as Terry has said before. Like you got to have one quarterback really dictate your pace. You you can you can't have a shuffle because then it just breaks away the continuity and everything else. Um, Terry, mm-hmm. uh, we we already knew that Amanda was going to be disappointed. We already knew that coming into Boston. You know they're going to put we up a fight. We even Lexi suspicions. said, yeah. Even yeah. even Lexi said this is going to be, you know, Boston. Like as she said it in a tone, it's it's Boston. Oh, sorry, she already knew, right? Uh, so we anticipated a better contest, but as Mark's point was, Pittsburgh's, uh, Boston's been pissed off since that Pittsburgh game, and they showed it once again. <laughs> and they're not going to give up more than two scores. Yeah, 70-14 to is a pretty crazy score. Um, I mean, I don't know, man. It's tough because, like, scoring 70 points is crazy. You know, OKC scoring 70 is crazy. Boston scoring 70 is crazy. It's not crazy to hear Boston is scoring 70 points, but DC Divas are not a bad team in my estimation. So for them to score 70 points against a team that's not horrible says a lot about how, you know, the the pedigree of Boston. And so, you know, DC didn't give up 84, so I guess that's that's a good thing. Uh, but they did give up 70. <laughs> out, out. Uh, DC. There you go, Terry. Yeah. There's the positive. Yeah, trying to, trying to find the, the you know, silver, silver lining here. But D.C. scored 25 last time. This time they scored 14. So, you know, um, they did better in one way, worse in another way. And so it's kind of the yeah. kind of tomato-tomato from, from my perspective. Um, but I don't think anybody's surprised that Boston's advancing. So it kind of is what it is. Yeah. No, um, I, I just don't – you know, it wasn't surprised. I mean, uh, once I yeah. once I saw the first three, what two quarters, and we're like, okay, this is out of hand. It's kind of like the nine cup, you know, championship run. It's like, okay, it's over. Yeah. This is <laughs> gonna be fun. Uh, Mark, if you're Pittsburgh, uh, you, you, these refs maybe cost you the game. From what I'm, you know, listening and hearing, if you're <laughs> Alabama, I don't care. <laughs> I'm moving on. <laughs> like, whatever. <laughs> We're moving right. on. And then all yeah, of a sudden, only... reality sinks in, right? And it says, oh, Boston. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, uh, you know, now they have to travel up to Boston to face the Renegades. I mean, I wonder if it feels like you're just throwing your money into the gutter or something, right? Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, this will be actually be – that will be an, an interesting game. Uh, Terry mentioned, I, I think, you know, at least a few, um, a few uh, podcasts ago, that he was very interested in, in seeing this matchup. Uh, you know, small market, small roster team against you know big market juggernaut, and mm-hmm. so that will be an interesting. It will be an interesting game, uh, no matter what the outcome is. Um, but in terms of you know that game between Alabama and, and Pittsburgh. I always feel like there's at least one game where, you know, there's a, a controversial call. And, you know, I, I saw the highlight of of the play, uh, circus catch, in which um, Pittsburgh appeared to score a touchdown, but there was a flag thrown on that play that uh, nullified that touchdown. Um, and now mm-hmm. I don't know. I only saw the replay. I don't know what the penalty call was. Um and so I don't know the details, and I don't know what happened after that, you know, after that play. 
Um, so there's a lot I don't know about whether or not that play, you know, that penalty call was legit. But um, I, I have a feeling that if a play like that is made in a game, that that wasn't the only play, uh, only like a uh, penalty sure, sure. call made in that game that could have turned the tide for one of the other teams. And, and I have heard that the, the officiating in that particular game was um, not the best. And I've heard this from, yeah. from both sides. So um, really until I watched that whole game, like I can't really make a judgment on whether or not it was a fair call or a good call or a bad call, or whatever. But to your point, you know, it's Alabama that's, that's moving on. Um, so, it, you know, that's that. It's, it's, you know, it's on to Boston as far as Alabama is concerned. Terry, uh, you're 6-0 Alabama. Can that 6-0 equate to a 6-0 Boston? And can you play both ways quarters? No. That's literally the question. Yeah. No, I know. That's what, so the, <laughs> I know the yeah. answer. <laughs> give, me, give me some hope. Because yeah, the second yeah. unit will well, come in in the third quarter, and then it's going to be, okay, uh, Shantae Bonds? Okay. <laughs> I, I would love to up. try to spin – yeah, I would I would love to try to spin this in a positive light, Oscar, but I'm also sure. uh not a liar. And so I'd be lying <laughs> if uh sure. if I were to say that I think Alabama with their low numbers are gonna be able to go to Boston and play four quarters with some players playing both ways and have a chance to win the game. Um what is what is debatable is how long they can keep the game keep the game competitive. So Yep, it's kind of crazy to me that Kelly Smith didn't play versus Pittsburgh. Um, I was told that she didn't she didn't play that game. So hopefully they're yeah. bringing her to, to uh, Boston because she's a she's a big deal. Um, but if they do have her, they have all their players. I personally think that they could keep it competitive for a quarter or maybe the first half. Um, but unfortunately, it's only a matter of time until those low, low numbers catch up to them and Boston pulls pulls away. So. For me, it's just the intrigue of seeing how much heart they have and how, how hard they can fight with not having substitutes for how long. Um, and my guess yeah. would be a quarter or a half, um, and I hope, it's, I hope it's at least a half. I hope they at least make Boston sweat a little bit because Boston doesn't sweat very much. All right, guys, so we have five minutes. Uh, thanks, everybody, to, for staying with us for the two hours. And then uh, if you didn't catch our interviews in the first hour, Tara Thomas, MVP of the Nine Cup, and then also Coach uh, Soho, uh, also from the Houston Mambas, giving his perspective on the 2024 WNFC season in the first hour. So don't forget to like, subscribe, uh, Apple, Sprecher, and Spotify. All right, um, Mark, let's get the predictions here. So we know Boston will eventually win over Bama. That's our prediction. Uh, St. Louis, Minnesota. Um, I, I still think this could be a better matchup, uh, but I'm going to give the slam the edge. And then um, – on the other side, uh, uh, you know, I'm saying prayers for Nebraska. Go Mac, but OKC, 70, uh, seems like it's going to be ugly. Um, the Wolves should edge Baltimore. Can Baltimore, sh- you know, shock us? Uh, it's going to be Zydeco's challenge and New Mexico to figure out if they really want to go the, to the final. And then Maine, Palm Beach, I think it's going to be the one that's in- intrigued. So uh, I'm going to give Palm Beach the edge there. So what are you guys' predictions? Mark, you can go first. Wow. 
Okay, yeah, no, I'll pick Boston and St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll take the Wolves and OKC, just same as you, Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm leaning towards the Benitez to win in the West of Division Three, and although against goes against my gut instincts, um, as a Mainer, I'm going to choose the Maine Mayhem to shock Palm Beach Coyotes. Mm. All right. Terry? The intriguing D3. I see you, Mark. All right, so <laughs> I'm going to go WFA Pro, Boston versus St. Louis in the final. Uh, D2, I'm going to agree with you guys, OKC versus New York in the final. And then D3 is the only one that really has intrigued for me. Um, I want to say New Mexico is going to win in the West, but I don't know a lot about Zydeco Spice, so I don't feel like that confident in my pick because – I'm not going to lie to you, like, about my, you know, how well-versed I am in the Zydeco Spice. So I'm picking New Mexico, but I won't be surprised if the Spice win that one. And then I'm going to go against Mark, um, the Oracle of Women's Football, and I'm going to go with the Palm Beach Coyotes <laughs> because, the, uh, you know, they, they beat Orlando this year. Um, they put up some good numbers. They had a dominant performance in, in week one of the playoffs, and so – I'm, I'm more impressed with them than I am Maine. Um, but once again, I'm not, I'm not professing to be a Maine mayhem expert, so I won't be su- I won't be surprised if Maine wins. But I think I think Palm Beach should be the favorite uh, based on previous scores. So we're going to have a what you call a an intriguing road to Canton divisional finals. If we get what we want, six and zero Boston. We're going to get St. Louis as well. We're going to get OKC, New York, small market versus big market. And then we might get New Mexico and Palm Beach, which is an intriguing matchup. So uh, no mm-hmm. repeat, no repeat uh, uh, except for what, OKC mm-hmm. arrives and Boston arrives from last year. So it's going to be intriguing. So we'll look forward to the July 8th matchups in the WFA. If you guys didn't catch anything that we said today, Replay, replay, replay. And then don't forget to go to The Hub. The best network on the planet is The Hub. Subscribe, like, and share our podcast. We'll catch you here next week before 54 as we get the results of who's going to arrive in Canton for the WFA National Championships. All right, guys, that's it. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. We'll catch you guys next week. All right, see you guys. Good night.